Hey everyone, it's season two of the Pocket Therapist podcast. After a one-year break, I'm back. In this season of the podcast, I'll primarily be answering questions I get from Instagram, email, and Facebook, and doing what I do best, which is come up with answers on the fly, drawing on my experience as a therapist. Today, I'll be answering questions about developing a friendship with the person you're married to, dealing with a spouse's mental illness, and my top three tips for couples. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is Dr. Adam Moore. I'm your host and pocket therapist. I'm the mental health professional you can carry with you wherever you go. In this podcast, I offer a mix of scripted episodes about fascinating mental health subjects and unscripted answers to your relationship and mental health questions. Let's get to it. Welcome, everybody, to rapid-fire responses to your questions from a therapist. I've got three questions of yours that I have not looked at. I do not know what the questions are. And I'm going to answer them on the fly with a quick, efficient response, and hopefully it will be helpful. Let's see how it goes. Question number one, how can a couple become better friends when life is filled with work, kids, and responsibilities? So I'm assuming a married couple here, we've got kids, we've got maybe one or both people working, and all the other responsibilities that come with being an adult. This thing that we thought was going to be so amazing when we were kids. I can't wait to be an adult. I get to make all the choices and I get to stay up as late as I want and drink straight from the two liter bottle and nobody can stop me. And now we're all being adults. And I don't know about you, but I feel really ripped off (laughs) about how it's turned out relative to what I thought it was going to be. How can a married couple, how can a couple who has all of this going on become better friends? Okay. I think the reason this question gets asked, this is going to be a very common type question, is because when you are spending so much of your time just dealing with responsibilities, stressful responsibilities, time restraints, limited resources, all the issues of being an adult, it's hard to really enjoy some of these moments together because they're not fun. It's not fun to discuss you know, refinancing your mortgage on your home. It's not fun to talk about how we're going to discipline Billy because of this problematic behavior he has, okay? How do you build a relationship that is a friendship when a lot of the relationship is about logistics management? The first thing we're going to talk about is intentionality. It's easy to let a day, a week, or a month go by and just sort of put out the fires, deal with whatever is in your face, or veg out in front of a screen as soon as you're not doing something responsible because that's kind of the survival mindset that a lot of us get into. So being intentional about your relationship means planning ahead, actually talking to the person you're married to and saying, not what do you want to do But why don't we do something that we both enjoy or that at least one of us enjoys? We can take turns enjoying things. That's an acceptable decision to make, I think. But why don't we do something? And then really planning ahead. You know, sometimes I'll say to my wife, I don't know what I want to do tomorrow, you know, Saturday, but I know that I want to do something fun. Can we plan on doing something fun. So if you're intentional and you go out of your way to make plans, that's going to dramatically increase the likelihood that you'll get to do some fun things. You have to figure out where it is that the two of you are jiving the most. You have to figure out 
what context? Is it outdoors? Is it doing sports things together? Is it sitting around and talking? My wife and I love going on vacation together. It's extremely difficult for us to just go on vacation because we have five children and three dogs and 28 employees or whatever it may be. So we don't get to do it very often, but we find that we found, you know, trying it out, that we vacation really consistently in the same style of the other person. So if we want to develop a friendship, we need to go on vacation, even if that means just overnight somewhere, you know, close by, get somebody to watch the kids. You need to be intentional. You need to go out of your way to plan ahead. And if one of you is more likely to be the proactive, get it done, schedule it kind of person, then let them take the lead on that. The next thing we're going to talk about is boundaries. One of the most common problems I see with couples is that they just take all of their parenting relationship life roles and responsibilities with them wherever they go. They go out to dinner and all they talk about is their children. They go on vacation and they can't stop talking about work. You have to be able to say, we're not going to talk about the kids. We're not going to talk about the problems of life. We're not going to talk about whatever it is that we normally talk about that gets in the way of us actually enjoying each other's company. Some of you might say, I wouldn't know what to talk about if we don't have those things. That's probably because you've let your relationship devolve into just a logistics management relationship. So I think you need to go back. I always tell people, go to Google, type in list of hobbies, and there's probably a website with 500 hobbies, including really bizarre hobbies, you know, ant farm, Maybe that's not bizarre to you. Maybe that's a cool hobby. Collecting decks of playing cards. I don't know. But I would say go to Google and type in list of hobbies and both of you circle any hobby that sounds even remotely interesting. And if there are 10 of them that line up between the two of you, then go do one of those, you know, dedicate a hundred bucks to each thing or whatever and go try some things out. Or go back to when you were dating and say, what did we enjoy? Well, if all you ever enjoyed together was just being together or the physicality of the excitement of a new relationship and we can't keep our hands off each other, then yeah, you probably do need to start working on this whole friendship thing. How do you be friends with someone? Normally you go up and you say, hi, my name is whatever, whatever your name is, what's your name? And then you decide if you have shared interests. I think most people, if you give them enough opportunity, most people could find at least one or two shared interests, okay? But you can't know about that unless you're talking about things you care about, talking about things that matter to you, expressing interest in trying new things, and just exploring together as a couple, what do we want to do? If you don't have a great relationship, then I think it's time to start building it. Go out of your way to find things that seem interesting that you'd like to try out with the other person. And you know what would be fun is just pick a few things, plan ahead, say, hey, guess what? We're going to do something exciting. I'm not telling you what it is. We're just going to try it out, okay, and see how it goes. So we're going to be intentional. We're going to set boundaries around what you can and can't do when you have time together. We're going to go out of our way to try some new things, and then you know what? Learn about the other person. Ask them questions. Pretend like you don't know them. Say things like, what do you think would be the most exciting vacation for you? Or what's your definition of a great night out? 
or if money were no object, where would you live? Or questions like, what's a hobby that you used to do that you wish you could spend more time doing? What's your favorite color? (laughs) I mean, anything. Ask them questions. Just the nature of asking a question, even if you already know the answer, can generate some well-being, some goodwill in the relationship. And I think goodwill is something that's really missing in a lot of relationships because we're so focused on getting stuff done. Goodwill is built by going out of your way to demonstrate that you care about the well-being of the other person, what their interests are, what their values are. Just find out. Learn from each other. Question number two. How can I support my spouse who suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and chronic depression? That's a lot of diagnoses for one person, okay? So this is a, a person who's really struggling. They've got some history of trauma in their past. They have some anxiety, which usually is worry about the future or worry about the past sometimes. And depression, which usually is kind of this general sense that it doesn't really matter what I do. The outcome is going to be the outcome, and I have no control. The first thing you can do to support your spouse is to not try to rescue your spouse. A lot of times, you know, we feel like we want to fix people's problems, and that is rarely the correct way to handle things. PTSD, chronic depression, and anxiety, are they're not going to go away. These are things that this person will probably be dealing with for the rest of their life. If they feel like you're trying to fix them and make it go away, what it's going to feel like is, like, if I'm the person with all the diagnoses, I'm going to be thinking, you're trying to help this go away so you can have a less frustrating life. But I won't feel like you're doing it because you care about me. It's going to feel selfish, I think. So the first thing is accept the fact that this may be a lifelong challenge. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to say, when there are good times, because there always will be good, there'll be good days, a good hour, a good 10 minutes, whatever that may be, maybe a good week. When those are going well, you're going to embrace it. You're going to express gratitude for it. You're just going to live in that moment and be grateful for the moment instead of doing what people often do, which is, how can I make this last forever? Or what magic combination of uh, decisions can I make to force this to not go away? Or maybe the worst thing you can do, which is saying to the person, see, look, I knew you were capable of being happy. We should do it all the time like this. You know, if you have PTSD, anxiety, and depression, you're not going to have a lot of great days where you're just like, oh, I'm on top of the world. And when you have a, a decent day, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is overdo it. You're like, all right, now that I feel good, I'm going to do all the things. That's really probably the worst thing you can do because you're going to burn yourself out really fast. So you're going to slow down. If you're the person married to this individual, you're not going to try to pressure them to perform or to get more things done because they have time. You're just going to be grateful. You're going to enjoy the moments that you have. On the bad days, when the PTSD is really hitting hard, when the anxiety is really showing up, when the person's having a hard time getting out of bed, that's when you as the spouse need to have resources at your fingertips. You need to have some people that you both agree are safe people that you can talk to, to whether you're going to vent some of your feelings or probably more importantly, be able to just talk to, connect with, bond with. If your spouse just really, it can't be present for you, you need to have a few safe people. By safe people, I mean not people that are going to put your marriage in danger. Obviously, you're not going to be talking to somebody that might 
It might evolve into an extramarital affair. You're not going to do that. So you both need to agree on the people you're going to be uh, talking to. You need to have other resources. You need to have your own set of hobbies, your own set of uh, projects, your own set of tasks, your own set of things that you enjoy that you can do when the other person is unavailable. I'm not saying that you're going to abandon them. Oh, it's a PTSD day. Cool. Well, I've got a million things to do. I'll see you when you feel better. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that they may have a moment where they say, you know what, it's probably better for me to just be able to be on my own. Or you may have to eventually set a boundary. If they're asking you to rescue them 24-7 when they're having a bad day, you can't leave me. You can't do anything fun. I'm being tortured. You can't have a good time. You may have to set a boundary and say, you know what, I'm here for you, but I also need to make sure that I'm here for myself so that I don't get burned out. I want to still be able to be here for you, and it's not going to go well if all I do is run around trying to make sure everything's okay for you. So you may have to have some of those difficult conversations about boundaries and about self-care, okay? The other thing I think is pretty important is if when you're feeling rather compassionate and when you've got some extra energy, I think finding out what it is that they need. Now, they may not know what they need. They may not know if they want you to stay or leave them alone or wait on them hand and foot or whatever it is that they're expecting from you. But with a little trial and error, you can often discover what it is that is the most productive, the most helpful, the best way to be a support in a given moment. If you have some extra energy, then offer that. And then when you feel like you're getting to that point where you're going to burn out, I think that's where you have to be honest and you have to say, I would like to be able to do more, but if I do, I don't think it's good for my mental health, so I need to take a break. Again, that's going to be a boundary, okay? I think you need to offer uh, resources. Now, depression is a really tough thing because it's kind of the nasty catch-22 situation of mental health diagnoses. Everything that you need to do to heal from depression is stuff that you can't find the motivation to do because the depression has sucked the motivation out of you. But I think it's worth offering resources. It's worth saying, are you interested or willing to do some counseling? Are you interested in or willing to look into medication that may help temporarily? You don't. It's not a life sentence, but for now. Are you willing to look into exercise or going outside and spending some time? Are you willing to invest in things that you do care about, even if initially you don't feel very excited about it, etc.? Now, you're going to be thinking, well, sure, I've offered all that, and they always just refuse. They don't want to do anything. That's when you have to be able to sit back and say, it's okay to allow a person to suffer. I know that's a bit of a strange thing to say from a professional healer, but it is okay to let people suffer. You don't have to rescue everyone. You don't have to rescue anyone. There's a difference between offering support and help and rescuing people. You don't have to save anyone. Each person is responsible for their own outcomes. Certainly, we want to be of help and support. But if I'm married to somebody with a chronic problem that I can't manage, I'm going to go absolutely nuts if I'm trying to save or rescue them. So my main goal is to say, this is the limitation of what I can offer. And after that, I'm going to have to let you be responsible for yourself. And does that mean that you're going to have to watch them suffer in in ways in which you might think you could jump in and save them? Sure. Does that mean that they might blame you and say, why didn't you care more about me? Yeah, that could happen. Okay. And all of those things are an opportunity for you to grow and say, how do I find this complicated space? And I have to do this as as a therapist. 
You know, even though I'm getting paid when people are sitting in front of me and I'm helping, there's too much investment and emotional involvement, and there's too little, and I have to find that perfect balance. If it's if it's too much, then I can't sleep at night, and I worry about people between appointments, and I probably won't be able to function as a professional. If it's too little, if I'm just completely disconnected, people will feel that. They'll know that I, you know, they'll, they, they would know. You would know if your therapist or your helper was there just for the paycheck, and then you wouldn't want to keep coming. I mean, it would be pretty clear, I think, whether that person really legitimately cared or not. So we're looking for that balance of caring just enough. Not too little, not too much. That's a practice thing you've got to work on. Outside of that, I really find that one of the most important skills that people can develop is coming to accept, practice active acceptance. Not just say I accept it, but actively accept it, meaning that you're trying to change and adjust your mindset into an acceptance mindset when you run into this pessimism or when you run into this disappointment or whatever you're running into, to actively accept the fact that life is just painful. It really isn't uh, this you know, beautiful thing where things are go- going well. Whatever you think's happening with your neighbors and friends and social media people, that's not what's happening. Their life is torture, I promise. Some people are just much better at hiding it than other people. And those are the people that everyone else envies. But I, I promise, you know, I'm seeing a lot of those people in therapy. They look great on the outside. I promise they're just as tortured as, uh, as you are. Maybe worse, depending on who we're talking about here. So the deal here is the more you can come to actively accept the fact that life is full of pain, uh, the less you're going to be tortured by that pain when it, when it inevitably happens. So when you run into a rough day with your spouse, when you run into a day where you just feel helpless, when, when you run into a day where you're, you just legitimately wish that you weren't married or you think, hey, you know, maybe this would be better if I were married to someone else. Everybody's going to feel that sometimes. Instead of beating yourself up or feeling like a bad person, just say, you know what? Welcome to being human. That's that's what human beings do when they're in pain is they look for an escape route. When you look at that and just accept that that's how you feel, then it's actually okay. It's okay to say, you know what? That's what happened in my brain. And uh, there's a certain little cathartic healing process that can happen when you say, it's okay to wish that I were somewhere else right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up out of this chair when I'm done wishing this, and I'm going to go help, or I'm going to do something for myself. I'm not just going to quit, because that's just not who I am, but it's okay to sometimes say, I wish things were different. That's the most efficient way to allow that emotion in your life without uh, it lingering and torturing you later. Sometimes it's, depending on the context of the relationship, if it's a particularly good, healthy relationship, you can say, I bet you're wishing you didn't have PTSD today. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm wishing you didn't, too. I'm feeling some disappointment that this is our life, and I think we can both agree that this sucks. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really raw and honest response to it. You're probably not going to say, man, I just wish I weren't married to you today. Because in reality, that's not what's going on. What you're wishing is that there's something about your shared experience that were different. You're not really wishing that they would go away. I think in most cases. All right, that's pretty decent for that one. Now, the last question. The top three skills or tools you wish every couple could know. Wow, the top, I have no idea. The top three skills or tools every couple could know. All right, here we go. First one. 
is the ability to stick to something you commit to, especially when it gets difficult. I think so many relationships end prematurely because somebody just doesn't want to do it anymore. I'm not talking about relationships where there's abuse. I'm not talking about relationships where you've invested 10, 15, 20 years of just being tortured repeatedly by the same problem and nothing ever changes. I'm not talking about that. I understand that there are some relationships that are never going to work. I understand that there are some people that are never going to change. I just think that there are so many people that quit when part of being married, and this is, I've been married for, I think, 16 years now, if I'm Hopefully my wife's not listening and (laughs) saying it's 17, you moron. No, she wouldn't say that. But I've been married 16 years now, and there have been plenty of times that both my wife and I have stuck in the marriage for different reasons other than, oh, I just, I love you so much, and I just, you know, I love everything about this relationship. There are times that we stay because uh, we feel responsible, There are times that we stay, I'm talking about maybe a five-minute period or a one day or a one week, but but this is true, right? Uh, There are times that we stay because there's a certain level of convenience about staying with somebody that you've been with for a long time. There are times when you stay because you're expecting a better future. There are times when you stay because there's a certain level of fear about what may happen if you weren't to do that. Hopefully that's not every day of your life, but I promise the longer you are married, the more time you will have to really look at your various motivating factors of staying in a relationship and realize that it's not all just because you feel so in love. A lot, There's a lot of practical reasons to stay in a relationship, and I think you embrace all of the reasons that you would stay and you continue to invest in it, Okay. Uh, There'll be some people listening to this right now saying, I've done that for 25 years. I still am not getting anything anything out of the relationship. I get it. And I can't tell you whether you should or shouldn't stay. And obviously, you've probably agonized about it for a long time. And, you know, the worst thing is there's no way to even verify whether you made the right decision in staying or going. It's complicated, but I do truly believe, I truly, truly believe that there are relationships out there that could have worked if people had been willing to just keep putting the work in and continue to invest when sometimes it is definitely is easier to just be on your own or disconnect or unplug. So that's the first skill or tool, which is staying committed to things that you promise to do. The second tool I wish all couples, every couple could know, tool or skill. This is live and on the fly, so I'm not... I haven't thought about this in advance. What's the second tool that I think couples... You know what? This is, this is important. This relates to one of the earlier questions. I wish that couples knew how to have fun. You know, there's the physical part of the relationship. There's an intellectual connection part. There's often spiritual connection. There's simply being productive, getting stuff done. There's lots of different benefits or values or components to relationships. I think a lot of people, as we get older and we focus on productivity and maybe just being so tired we don't want to do anything, I think a lot of people forget to have fun. And this, you know, really this ties in with that first question. How do you build a friendship with someone? 
I think you need to go out of your way to do something. You know, what's the definition of fun? I, I don't really know. Something that, you know, generates some dopamine perhaps, generates some neurochemical well-being. To me, fun is something that's exhilarating, that's exciting, that makes me laugh or, you know, want to yell for joy. Sometimes I love cars, and if I get to drive in a fast, fun car, that to me, just the G-forces on my body, that's fun. That's, you know, that's exciting. If I had to fly in an F-16, I think that'd be too many G-forces. We'd cross over from fun to not fun. Uh, So you kind of have to know your limits. But having fun together as a couple, you know, sometimes when I'm at the grocery store, and I'm putting my cart back, like at least 50% of the time, I push it and I jump on the back of the cart and I ride it as far as I can in the parking lot because that is just having joy, having fun. Being able to do something as a couple, I don't know, a leaf fight or a pillow fight or something like that, Uh, you know, being able to tease in a nice, kind, but fun way. Some couples can do that, some can't. So if, if your relationship can't tolerate fun teasing, then don't do it. But if it can, that can be fun. Watching funny videos together of cats getting scared by cucumbers or whatever it may be, really carve out time to have fun and to play. I mean, that's probably the easier way to put it is play. If you're not someone who has that skill set, I hope you married someone that is playful and go along with it. Enjoy some of that uh, because that is one thing that really helps couples stick together is if they can play together. And finally, the last thing, what do I think all couples should know? And that is, it's more enjoyable, everything's more enjoyable if someone is going out of their way for you on your behalf to do it. So I I think that's one of the things that we get married for, right? I could survive on my own in modern society. Maybe 150 years ago, I couldn't survive on my own. That's why people had tribes. That's why they, you know, lived in close quarters with each other because it's a little more difficult to survive. In modern 21st century society, you can survive on your own. All the resources are put together for you. It's just not enjoyable. It's not fun to make all of your own food. It's not fun to choose every show you're going to watch on TV. It's not necessarily fun to complete the tasks, you know, if you're going to do gardening or whatever. It's not as enjoyable. It doesn't feel as fulfilling to do everything on your own. There's an incredible well-being increase that happens when someone else goes out of their way to do something that you could do for yourself but now you don't have to. For example, my wife will make herself something to eat and she absolutely loves it if I will just put the stuff away in the fridge for her. It's extremely meaningful. It's a really minor thing for me to do, but for her, it's really, really meaningful. For me, if she goes out of her way to buy me something you know, that I like, as a gift or just a surprise, man, I love that. I mean, there's anything. It's it's not just that. Anything, if my wife comes in and brings me a drink and instead of just getting herself one, it feels amazing to have someone sacrifice. So to go out of your way to sacrifice for the other person, it's amazing. It gives you 
this joy that we all feel when we do for other people. And it makes the other person feel special. And there's just something magical about that. I think the most challenging thing you run into with something like this is you've got one very giving and self-sacrificing person in the marriage and, and one person who is inevitably going to be a little bit, uh, you know, more challenged at self-sacrificing, a little bit more focused on themselves, a little bit they're happy to, to receive service, but it's harder for them to give it. And that's where a certain level of tolerance has to come into play, right? Because you might say, I'm doing all these things and my spouse isn't doing any of them and I'm just desperate for them to show up in the ways that I want. And I think that's where you have to say there's a certain level of acceptance of this is the person I've married. I hope that they'll get better. I hope they'll improve, but I also can come to grips with the reality of who they are today and I can find you know reasons to be grateful for what they are offering they may not do things exactly the way I want or exactly how I want but I did marry them for a reason and there are things that they offer me that I really value my last example on this would be I am terrible with events birthday and anniversary mother's day anything like that I'm bad at them I think it's because I have this bit of perfectionism in me and if I can't do it really, really well or do some an amazing job at it or carve out a ton of time to think and prepare, it's like I, I don't, I feel frozen, like I can't do anything about it. And my wife's family was pretty big on events. So when we got married, I think she was expecting that I would do a better job at uh, commemorating things like that. And I've done a terrible job. And for a long time, she was not a happy camper, as they say, about it. And I still don't think she's thrilled about it. But one thing I'm really good at is just being there for the little moments. I mean, if she wants to go to the grocery store, I'll go with her every time. I'll go with her wherever. This is a true story. She has a person that's like 300 miles away from where we are right now that she's the only person she trusts to cut her hair. We are going to go in like a few days and we're me and all five kids and three dogs will accompany my wife and drive for four hours so she can get her hair cut. And we will turn around after her haircut and we'll drive another several hundred miles back home. That's the level of commitment I'm willing to put in to the day-to-day tasks. So I may do an atrocious job at remembering her birthday or even buying her a gift, but I will drive 600 miles in a 24-hour period so she can get a haircut. So if you can remember that there are reasons to be grateful for your spouse, even if it's not exactly what you want, it's a good connection to this idea that I I did make a decision on purpose, and there are things about this person that I appreciate, even if it's not exactly what I think I want. Sometimes the greatest gifts you get are the ones that you didn't know you needed and you didn't really want, but you got them anyway, and they changed your life. Everybody, thank you so much. We'll just continue. I've got another probably 27 of these questions, so we're going to just keep pumping these out. Hope this was helpful. Have a great day.